Good morning. It's uh, good to see you today. And uh, before we get to our passage today, I did want to comment on something that uh, uh, Monty was talking about in a couple of weeks, actually next week. We're going to have our picnic in the park, and then we're going to come over here and have a service in here. And that uh, service is intended to be the beginning of ongoing evening services. So we're going to start doing that again. We've not done that for several years, uh, had any kind of consistent evening service. And we want to begin that. It's going to be uh, shorter than our morning services, uh, but will include basically the same elements. Uh, we will be singing together and praying together. And uh, there might be opportunity for um, sometimes we'll have testimonies being shared or we'll have um, different uh, either shorter sermons or lessons or whatnot. But uh, we're going to start next week to do evening service again. So we're excited about that. It's uh, always good to be together and it's good to be together a lot. And so I think that's a good opportunity for us to uh, fellowship with one another as well as another opportunity for, um, for us to be able to study together and learn and grow together. So that begins next week. I'm excited about that. If you would open your Bible, we are in Romans chapter 9, and we're going to continue on today and uh, cover, Lord willing, a few more verses. And you've got your uh, outline there in the bulletin. You can fill it in as you go, or you can ignore my outline and write whatever notes you want. That's fine. Um, but it's, that's intended to help you as we study through this to be able to put down certain thoughts and get some things arranged in your mind. Today, we are specifically going to be covering verses 22 through 24 of chapter 9, but I want to back up and, and uh, as I like to do, get a running start at what we're looking at. So I'm going to uh, pick it up in verse 18 and then we'll read all the way through 24. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled to come before you this morning. We rejoice that we get to do so. Father, we confess even now that this week we have not loved you as we ought. We have not loved our neighbors as we ought. And that's sin. And so we confess that sin to you now. And we ask for your forgiveness. And Father, we pray that you would be at work in us even this morning, instructing us from your word, molding and shaping us from even these verses in your word. Father, we are grateful that we have forgiveness in Christ. We are grateful that we have life in Christ, that we 
have reconciliation with you. We have a right relationship with you because of what you've done in Christ. And so we, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you together. And as we open your word, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts at this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing I've noticed in uh, years of parenting is that children will occasionally ask the question, why? And I say occasionally, yes, thank you. (laughs) You understood. (laughs) Uh, When I say occasionally, I mean always, okay, perpetually. And they'll get on a streak, and that seems to be the only question that they have. And uh, they can ask the question, and you answer it, and then they say, well, why that? And then you answer that, and then they say, well, why that? And it's never ending. It's never ending. And uh, so I, I added up, by the way, the, the years that, uh, out of pure curiosity, the years that we've been parenting. 80 years, if you add up the ages of all of our children. That's a lot of whys. <laughs> and so sometimes as parents, that why question just keeps getting asked again and again and again. And you get to the point you never thought you would ever get to as a parent. Because you remember as a child, maybe your parents did this, or, or maybe you've heard this, or, and that's, that's the answer from the parent, because I said so, right? You never thought you would ever get there. If you're not a parent yet, you will probably get there, okay? There comes a time when you're just like, I don't have another answer to why, and so all I have is because I said so, right? And it's a cop-out, and it's an end of the conversation, and it's not very respectable, and all of that, and I've done it, and you've probably done it. And, and a lot of people, when they, when they read these verses, and they're reading this passage, which is talking about deep stuff, it's talking about very difficult teaching. And they get to what Paul says there, in answer to the objection in, in, in uh, verse 19, where why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Then they read verse 20, and it's, it seems to them almost as if God's saying, because I said so, and that's it. Well, that's a, you know, that with, with your child, that's kind of a cop-out, and with God, if God says so, does that carry the day? Well, of course that carries the day, because he is God, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's just trying to quiet the objector. I don't think Paul is just trying to shout down the person who said, but excuse me, Paul, why does he he still find fault? Because who can resist his will? We talked last week about how his first answer there, I believe, actually is an answer. It has included in it a little bit of a rebuke. You need to remember you're a man. You're a created being. You're a vessel. You're, You're clay. And you're talking about God, who is the potter. So there is a little bit of rebuke there, a reminder of who exactly we are, but there's also an answer. And that answer included there is, He is God, and He gets to do what He wants. But I think in our passage today, He gets to the heart of His answer. He gets right down to explaining as clearly as I think can be explained how it can be that God sovereignly works even in the aspect of salvation. And so our passage today, verses 22 through 24, I believe, give the answer, give the rock-bottom defense 
the foundational truth, the answer to that objection, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? You see, in in the earlier verses in 20 and 21, he had been talking about vessels for honorable use and vessels for dishonorable use. And so in our discussion today, I think he's further developing what it means to be a vessel for honorable use and a vessel for dishonorable use. And he, he starts off in verse 22 with talking about the vessels for dishonorable use. He says in 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He enters into it and says, this is part of God's desire, not just his design, not just his plan. It's part of his desire. And what if God in his desire has prepared vessels for dishonorable use because he wants to reveal his wrath? The first aspect is God's wrath being revealed. You see, there, there are many differences between biblical Christianity and world religions. They're numerous. And one of them, one of the big differences between those religions is that we as Christians understand that we do not begin with ourselves and reason upwards towards God. We do not build our worldview from us and then arrive at God after our philosophy, after our ethics, after our thinking. We do not arrive at God. Instead, we realize that He is the Creator. We are the creature, and thus we are dependent upon Him to know anything. And so, rather than us reasoning our way towards God, Christians understand that God must reveal Himself to us. He has to speak to us or we wouldn't know Him. Even in the garden, even in that time before there was sin entered the world, before Adam and Eve had fallen, still Adam and Eve in their sinless state required revelation from God. And we require revelation from God and that includes a revelation of God's wrath. In order for us to understand it, in order for us to have a right picture of it, we have to have God's wrath even revealed to us. Well, what is God's wrath? I mean, that's a, that's a term that you've heard. It's a term that you've probably thought about. What is God's wrath? Wrath is holiness offended. God's wrath is the response of justice and judgment that God gives when His holiness has been offended. His holiness has been attacked. When His holiness is not upheld. An infraction against his holiness incurs a response of judgment on his part. And that is God's wrath. why, Why would God want to reveal his wrath? Our verse says here, what if God desiring to show his wrath? Why would God desire to show his wrath? Why is it important for us to understand God's hatred of sin? Well, very quickly, just a couple of reasons. First of all, so that we as His children will likewise hate sin. And so that we ourselves will seek to avoid sin because we know how offensive it is to our Father. 
So why should God reveal his wrath? One reason is so that we as Christians would know God really does all the way hate sin. And second of all, and we could develop these further, but second of all, he reveals his wrath so that we will know who he really is. And knowing who God really is helps us understand our relationship to him. So we need to know what his view of sin is. We need to know what his response to sin is. We need to have a picture. We need to understand. We need to know God's wrath because this is the God we are relating to. This is God who is our God, who is our Father. And so God's wrath is revealed. And secondly, our verse talks about God's patient endurance. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? God is patient. He's patient. Unlike so many of us, He's not, he's not driven by instant gratification. He sees the bigger picture. He understands long-term, and He thinks long-term. He doesn't fly into a fit of rage and destroy someone instantly for having sinned. He looks at the big picture. He is patient in His endurance. And that, that patience, by the way, that patience that God shows to the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction is more than that vessel deserves. That patience that God shows is itself a mercy. He could destroy them instantly upon the moment of sin, and yet He doesn't. He's patient. That, that vessel continues to enjoy the benefits of God's creation. The rain falls in the just and the unjust alike. That vessel still gets to enjoy the sunshine, the pleasure of delicious food, maybe family, maybe love, maybe even health, maybe the benefits of this world. He experiences God's provision for him, and all of those things are on loan from God, even to that vessel. God is patient. God is patient, and he is enduring patiently, even as he is being sinned against. And then finally, God's chosen means. He's enduring with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. The, the vessel of destruction, the vessel of wrath, is not an accident of nature. It didn't just happen. God has, has prepared them for this purpose. He has chosen to reveal himself in history. That's what the Bible is, God's revelation of Himself and His interaction with people in the course of redemption, in the course of history. He's revealing Himself, and that includes revealing His own wrath. The vessel of wrath prepared for destruction is God's chosen means for making His wrath known to us. It has a use, but in the terms from the previous verses, it's a, it's a dishonorable use, but it's useful. Behind the revelation of his wrath towards sinners, God has his primary central purpose. God has a larger purpose. He, he says 
What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? That, that phrase, in order to, tells us purpose, tells us why he's doing it. What if God does this in order to do this? means this is the purpose. This is the goal. This is what he's aiming at. This is what his purpose is. Now, I said earlier that the answer that Paul gives is a, is a profound answer. And for many, it will not be a satisfying answer. For, for the world, this certainly would not be a satisfying answer. But I believe it is Paul's final rock-bottom answer on this topic. But we won't find it satisfying unless we love what God loves. Unless we value what God values, we will not find it to be a satisfying answer. When we study Scripture, we face several challenges. One challenge, of course, is just understanding what it says. Sometimes that takes work. Sometimes that takes wrestling through it. That takes uh, a little bit of effort on our part. It's not always straightforward to understand what is written there, particularly in uh, difficult passages. But that's one struggle that we have is understanding what's actually written there. And so that's why God has said that churches should have elders and that those elders are required to be able to teach, to interpret, and, and make plain, make understood what God's Word says. So that's one challenge we face. And there's another challenge we face when we study God's Word. First of all, figuring out what it says, understanding it, but then secondly, believing what it says. You see, if I'm reading through the Gospels and I see that it says, Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, I have successfully understood what it says. The second question is, do I believe it? Do I believe it? But there's a third aspect, a third difficulty, a third challenge that we face that maybe gets talked about less. It's not just understanding what is written there, and it's not just believing what is written there, but it is loving what is written there. Coming to love what is written in the text. Loving what the Bible teaches. Valuing what it says is valuable. And holding in high esteem what God's Word says is true. That's, a, that's another challenge. That's a, a challenge perhaps on another level. And I believe this third hurdle, this third challenge, is the primary challenge in understanding Paul's answer. It's valuing what God values. It's loving what is written here. When we discuss topics of this absolute sovereignty of God and salvation. We just often don't like it. We read it in the text. We see Paul say it. Maybe we've, we, we, but we don't like it. And that's our biggest challenge for today. That's the biggest challenge in this section of Romans. And that's the biggest challenge as we're understanding what is being written right here. And that's because the linchpin of Paul's argument is this. It's the emphasis that God puts on His own glory. That's the foundation. That's the reason. That's the ultimate love. That's the ultimate value for God. 
The glory of God is at the top of the list of God's values. And so as we study this, we need to keep that question in our mind. We need to hold that in our hand. What is our value of God's glory? So his central purpose, he says right there, is in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. You see, God's glory is revealed. In this process, God's glory is revealed. Now, there's a word that we've used a lot, and you've said it a lot, and you've read it a lot, and you've heard it preached on. And what is God's glory? How do we understand what God's glory is? Well, I found John Piper to be particularly helpful in understanding uh, and explaining what is God's glory. God's glory is the public display, the showing forth, the displaying of the infinite worth and beauty and perfections of God. So God is infinitely valuable. He is infinitely beautiful. He is perfect. And glory is when that shines forth, when that it when that is seen, when that is published, when it is made known, that's God being glorified. And God said to Pharaoh, we read this just a few verses ago, God said to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That is, these things that are true of me, they don't become more true because I raised you up, Pharaoh. They become known. They become visible. They become published, known in the world. God's victory over Pharaoh didn't make him powerful. didn't make his name great. It just made it known how powerful he was and made it known how great is his name. So God's glory is revealed in this process. And we see God's fuller, excuse me, glory's fuller picture. He says, in order to make known the riches of, of his glory. Riches, there's a, there's a wealth of glory. It's not just a peak at glory. It's not just a piece of glory or a snapshot. It's, a, it's, it's, it's glorious and richly glorious. If there were no sin in the world, if there were no cause for God to display how his holiness interacts with evil and rebellion, what would we be missing? If there were no evil, if there were no offense against God's holiness, what would we be missing? How skewed would our picture of God be? What would we not understand about God or what would we misunderstand about God in the absence of sin? Well, again, this is another one we could develop quite a bit, but this is one thing we would miss. We would miss how highly God values His holiness. We would miss how much He loves His holiness. He could tell us. He could speak of it. He could write of it. But it would not be revealed in the same way, to the same depth, and in the same memorable way as it is because of the presence of sin and thus His wrath against sin. Secondly, what would we be missing? we would be missing how great is his power revealed in judgment. He could tell us about it and he could flex his arm for us and we could believe, oh, God's very powerful and his his judgment against sin, if it were to exist, would really be powerful. But we wouldn't know it. 
We wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't have that picture. That would be missing. But what else would be missing? His patience. We would miss his patience. If, if there were no sin, if there were no thing for him to judge, to have wrath against, we would not understand when he is patient, when he withholds that wrath. Again, he could explain it, but we wouldn't see it. We wouldn't know it. And then finally, what do you value most about God? That's a rhetorical question. It's not one to be answered out loud. What do you value most about? What do you celebrate the most? What occupies your, your thinking, your prayer, your conversation? What occupies your mind? What occupies your worship? The grace of God. The mercy of God. And we would not know those things. We would not know the mercy of God. We would not know what forgiveness is apart from our need to be forgiven. So in the absence of sin, in the absence of objects of God's wrath, we would not understand His mercy and grace. And how much poorer would we be if we didn't understand God's mercy? He's not content only to describe His glory to us. He's not content only to give us a peek. Here's a snapshot. A brief glimpse of His perfections. He puts them on display over time and in space, in history, in people's lives. He puts them on display. And he does so in order to show the riches of his glory. And that's because of glory's value. He values glory that much. The linchpin of Paul's argument is that the glory of God is at the top of God's list of values. That's, the, that's what makes the whole argument work. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory? God's desire is to make known the riches of His glory and grace, to make known what He is really like. His glory is of supreme value to Him. Keep your finger in Romans 9 and go back to Exodus 33, if you would, please. Exodus 33. verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. Moses wanted to see it, the demonstration, the display. He wanted to see God's perfections. He, he, he wanted to see that. Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will, uh, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. 
You see, Moses wanted to see. Moses valued his glory likewise. Moses really wanted to peek at what God is like. And God said, well, I can't. It would destroy you for me to give you a direct presentation of who I am. To, to show you directly who I am would kill you. And so I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm going to tell you of my goodness. Speak of my name and talk of my glory. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. God is at work revealing in history, in people's lives, in salvation, and even in judgment, revealing himself for who he really is, putting on display his glory, that his perfections might be made known. That's his top priority. That's his greatest value. That's what he loves the most, is his own glory. And he's at work in the course of history to make that known in in large ways and in small ways, but he wants to make known who he is. He makes himself known as the, the glorious one who is holy and just, yet who is also compassionate and merciful. His, his plan is to reveal the magnitude, the vast weight of his glory. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Chief end meaning primary purpose primary goal. And so the question for us, the question for my own heart as I wrestle through this, the question for each of us as we come to Romans chapter 9 and similar passage passages is, how much do we value the glory of God? In your thinking about God, in your prayers, in your worship, in your wrestling through the hard sayings of Scripture like today's topic, where does God's glory fit in the equation in your mind? Paul's argument is built upon that foundational truth that to God, his glory is of infinite worth. And until we begin to value God's glory like that, this argument, though we may see it in black and white on the page, though we may be able to understand this, what Paul is saying, we will not love it. We will not submit to it until we value God's glory the way He does. May God help us to value His glory like that. That's His central purpose, His, his point, the goal that He's aiming for there in verse 23. And then He, he moves on. In the second half of 23, talking about vessels for honorable use. He's spoken of vessels of dishonorable use. He's talked about the, the purpose of it all. And now he talks about the vessels for honorable use. First is God's mercy is revealed. God's mercy is revealed just like his wrath was revealed. Just like his glory is revealed. His mercy is revealed. Some of you have dealt with in your own life 
severe, ongoing pain. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's psychological. Some ongoing pain that has lasted weeks and months and years. And you've just come to live with it. But it's intense. And if you have a conversation with someone who has never experienced pain like that, you know, I broke my arm and it healed. You know, the pain wasn't that long. By the way, I've not broken my arm, but that's an example. I try not to break bones as much as I can. <laughs> but if you've been in that situation, you've dealt with that pain, and you know what that pain feels like. And then to have that pain gone, even just for a moment, they say it's one of the greatest possible feelings is the removal of pain. The joy that comes with that, just to feel like everybody else feels for a second. That that pain that's been weighing you down, that has been keeping you up at night, that, that agonizes you. And then if for some reason it's gone. The joy you experience, the, the lightness that you feel. That's the Christian. That's what the Christian knows. That we have experienced mercy that we who have have become aware that we because of our sin deserve god's wrath deserve his judgment he would be right to pronounce judgment upon us to to judge us forever we who know that that's us that and now to have mercy given to us in christ what what joy there is what what wonderful pleasure and excitement and joy and peace and comfort there is in having that guilt removed. Having that pain of being under God's judgment or even the threat of it removed, gone. And the joy that we experience. And so Paul says, what if he has done this in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. God's mercy is revealed in us knowing that we were children of wrath and have found refuge and mercy in Christ. His mercy is revealed. And that's part of God's plan. That's what God wants to show forth. He wants to show forth to us and in us what that glory, what that mercy is like and what that says about who God is and, and how we should celebrate. We who have experienced that mercy, just recall for a second being a child of wrath. Think for a second looking at these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction makes sense of the mercy of God that we experience. And we would, we would value having lived in pain, having lived in that agony and to have it removed. How much would we value that? How much would some of you value that? You would, you would give nearly anything at this moment to have that happen. That pain gone. How much more so to have the wrath of God removed from us? That's the relief 
That's the joy. That's the praise that we ought to give God as those who are in Christ. God's mercy is revealed, and it's revealed by His chosen means. We are the means that God uses to make that mercy known. God chose Pharaoh in the Old Testament as the means to make known His power and His name, to make known, to to publish what He's like, to, to see that the world understood what God is really like. He raised up Pharaoh for that purpose. That was His chosen means in that context. And we who are children of mercy, the recipients of mercy, we are the ones that God has chosen to exhibit, to put on display so that all can see the mercy of God, so that they can see how glorious is this God who would give mercy to creatures such as you and me. God chose vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to show forth His power and His wrath. And Christian, your life is the means of making known the glory and the mercy of God. What's your purpose in life? What's your role in life? Where do you fit in? Well, here's step one. You are that chosen instrument to put on display God's glory, to put on display God's mercy. We are the chosen means by God to receive His mercy instead of the wrath that we deserve and to put on display before the whole creation what the mercy of God looks like and how glorious He is. Christian, rejoice that you have been shown the mercy of God, that He has chosen you as a vessel to exhibit His saving mercy at work. Paul talks about this all over the place in his writings, but Ephesians chapter 2 is definitely one of those when he says that we, are, uh, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What a grateful and a joyous people we ought to be because we have experienced being under His His wrath, being children of wrath with the full expectation of the judgment of God. And we can see around us those who are under God's wrath, those who have full expectation that God's wrath will be poured out upon them. And then we have had mercy shown to us. We've been rescued from that context and been given mercy in Christ. We've become the recipients of God's glorious grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. Finally, in our outline there, God's faithful promise. I'm not really going to get into that today, but He says we are vessels of mercy which have been prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called, not from Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. The chapter started with the question of, yeah, but Paul, what about the Jews? The Jews don't seem to be accepting the Messiah. They they seem to be cast out. They seem to be separated from Christianity. What's going on there? Paul has, has God's word failed. And he concludes this paragraph by coming back and saying, God's word has not failed. God is glorifying himself in the redemption of a people, not just a Jewish people. 
but a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's, we're going to pick up on that another time, but I want to conclude. I want to conclude with this thought that we are clay vessels. Clay vessels. And all too often, in our thinking, we are clay-centric. We begin to think that clay is really all that matters. Clay is not all that is, but the clay is the most important. We value the clay above all things. And the worth of clay comes to define how we look at the rest of the universe. But we are only clay. We are the creation. And God is higher over us than the potter is over the clay. He is that far superior to us. And though He greatly values us as His creatures, there is something that He values even more than that. And that is His glory. And that is the heart of Paul's argument here. He says these things are difficult to understand. These things would cause us to raise objections. These things are hard for us, the clay. He says we can only make sense of this when we understand how much God values His own glory, how much weight He puts into that, how much, how much He wants to show who He really is, and He will do so by means of clay vessels. And where do we fit into that? We are the the clay vessels. We are the instruments that God has chosen to put on display who He really is in all of His glory, in all of His magnitude, in all of His holiness and His righteousness and His goodness and His wrath and His mercy and His patience and His love. And He puts that on display by means of you and me. And when we begin to think in those terms, when we begin to value what God values, when we begin to have the same structure of what is most important that God does, we begin to make sense of passages like this. We begin to make sense of these difficult teachings. And, and here we are. In this whole context, with there being vessels of destruction that were prepared beforehand, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and with there being vessels of, of mercy, vessels of, prepared to show God's glory, we see ourselves. and We understand that we are vessels of one or the other. And we who are in Christ are to be the most thankful people in the world understanding that God has chosen to show mercy to us. We who don't deserve it have never deserved it. That He sent His Son into this world to redeem people like us who deserve God's wrath. That, that Jesus would die in our place having lived in our place. That by faith in Christ we receive mercy. How, how, how grateful we ought to be. And how much less I ought to complain about my day-to-day -day life. My aches and pains. My hardships. And how much more I should give God glory for what He has done in, 
redeeming me and showing mercy to me. And more than that, I, as a, a vessel of mercy, a chosen instrument to make known His glory and His mercy, I don't just do that in my own life. I can do that in my words. I can do that by reaching out to other people around me, by taking this, this gospel of God's grace and mercy to people around me, to point them the same direction, to talk to them about the grace of God that I've experienced. And I had nothing to contribute. This is the mercy of God. And it is my prayer that the mercy of God will redeem you as well. And you get to take that message to those around you. Understanding this passage is difficult unless we understand the value of God's glory and how we ought to praise God that He has chosen to show mercy to us in order to glorify Himself. It is clearly for our good and it's for His glory as well. So I know these things can be difficult to wrestle with. It's about as deep as it goes. It's about as high as it goes. And it touches right what is right at the heart of my own values, of your values, and of God's values. And I confess that all too often I am clay-centric. I am this clay vessel-centric. <laughs> and that's sin. And when I do that, I do not comprehend what it is God has for me in Christ. And it's my desire that we would all be able to comprehend what it is that God has for us in Christ. That He has shown us such, such mercy that is glorifying to Him and it is good for us. Let's pray. Father, we, we confess that all too often, all too often, I do not love you with all of my capacity. Meaning I do not love your glory like you do. And that's sin when I do that. And Father, I thank you. I thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And I pray that you would help each of us here. That you would work in our hearts even as you have been put on display for us in your glory and your mercy and your justice have been put on display for us today, that we would be drawn to love you more and more, that every time we open your word, that even this morning we would be drawn to love your glory more and more like you do. That you would work on our hearts that those areas where we are still clay-centric, that you would forgive us, that you would be at work, that we would give you thanks for the glorious work that you have done for us in Christ, that we would celebrate you, that we would lift you up, that we would rejoice that we get to be chosen vessels to make known your glory in this world. We are grateful, and we praise you, and we worship you even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to pray with someone, there's going to be a family up front who would love to pray with you. And, uh, but I want to close with Second John and verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth 
and in love. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.